Welcome to Lymphedema Podcast. I'm Betty Westbrook, Certified Lymphedema Therapist and the host of Lymphedema Podcast. The purpose of Lymphedema Podcast is to provide answers and explanations for people affected by the lymphatic disease lymphedema. This podcast is for patients, family members, medical professionals, and anyone interested in lymphedema. Each week, I discuss a new topic related to this disease to help you learn more and navigate better the journey ahead. Disclaimer, as a certified lymphedema therapist, all information provided is based on my professional experiences and education. I recommend that anyone who feels they have lymphedema or have been medically diagnosed with lymphedema seek in-person medical treatment from a certified lymphedema therapist. I'm so passionate about teaching others about lymphedema that I created this podcast. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're ready to learn something new today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for episode 27 of Lymphedema Podcast. Last October, I was invited to speak at a rehab conference where there were speech-language pathologists, PTs, OTs, nurses, all kinds of clinicians from our area there. And I made a presentation called Lymphedema, How Can I Help? Many of these clinicians had never heard about lymphedema. And frankly, they didn't really know that we had the treatment services here. So I wanted to share with you guys my presentation so that if you have someone in your clinic or in your area that isn't really familiar with lymphedema, and they are a clinician, they are a medical professional, and they want to know kind of how they could play a role in this, this would be perfect for you to share with them. It's also a really good refresher about what lymphedema is, complete decongestive therapy, and really some of the basics related to lymphedema treatment. So the breakdown of the presentation pretty much falls under three categories. The problem, the solution, and how you can help. Obviously, the problem is lymphedema. The solution is complete decongestive therapy. And the best way to help yourself is to educate yourself and others. Lymphedema prevalence is not very well talked about. 10% of all cases are primary, while 90% of all cases are secondary lymphedema. Primary meaning you are born with it or developed it without an injury. Secondary meaning it's related to cancer treatment or some other physical injury. And there's a reported 10 million Americans that could have lymphedema. Dr. Phil's quote says, more people suffer from this disease than MS, muscular dystrophy, ALS, Parkinson's, and AIDS combined. The average physician spends 15 minutes during training on this disease, making it the most underdiagnosed and underreported syndrome in all of medicine. And that's really shocking because all of medicine spans basically for all of life. Even back in the dinosaur ages or caveman ages, however far back you want to go, that's when medicine started. That's when the study of science started. And from then to now, for lymphedema to still be one of the most underdiagnosed syndromes, it's just mind-blowing to me. So the textbook definition of lymphedema 
is that it's a chronic lymphatic system failure resulting in an accumulation of lymphatic fluid in the interstitial space. Layman's term, it's a breakdown in the lymphatic system that causes protein-rich fluid to build up in that certain region, making it difficult to wear jewelry, clothing, and causing heaviness, limited range of motion. Even though there isn't a cure for lymphedema, it's really important to stress the fact that it can be managed. People can still live a full and active life while managing this disease. And earlier I mentioned the classifications. Primary lymphedema is non-trauma related. Secondary lymphedema is trauma related. We're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about the stages of lymphedema here as well. Stage zero is considered the latency stage. It's not evident by visual inspection, but there can be heaviness or tightness in the limb. Most commonly, this presents after a lymph node removal or biopsy. This is why it's so important for compression to be worn proactively after surgery or during treatment. Because lymphedema can't be reversed and there isn't a cure, the earlier patients are treated, the better their outcomes are. Stage 1 lymphedema has mild swelling that begins distally, so towards the hands or towards the feet, and moves closer towards the center of the body with time. Rest and elevation will alleviate the swelling, but likely it comes back day after day, only to recede after rest and elevation. Stage 2, pitting edema is present. Pitting edema meaning you can push your thumb into the skin, and when you pull the thumb out, there's still a dimple or an impression from your pressure. During stage two, elevation doesn't alleviate the swelling. Daily compression can reduce the limb volume, and there's often changes in the skin's texture. Stage two is also referred to as spontaneously irreversible. Now, stage three is sometimes also referred to as elephantiasis. Patients have usually gone years or decades without treatment. Fluid may leak from breaks in the skin. There's hardening and irregular skin changes and significant scar tissue as well. When learning about primary lymphedema, it's often broken up into three categories. Congenital, precox, and tarda. Congenital lymphedema occurs between birth and two years. It's more common in males, and it usually affects the lower extremities. Lymphedema precox can occur between ages 2 and 35. Most forms of primary lymphedema are lymphedema precox. There is a higher incidence in females than males, and usually it's unilateral to the foot or calf that's affected. Lymphedema tarda occurs after age 35. This is most common in adults that have a weakened immune system. Because primary lymphedema is non-injury related, it's usually congenital or hereditary and related to a developmental abnormality of the lymphatic system. Secondary lymphedema can have many causes. There is a mechanical insufficiency caused by a known injury to the lymphatic system. 
This injury can be from lymph node, resection, surgery, radiation, um, thrombophlebitis, a trauma, paralysis. A wide variety of injuries can result in secondary lymphedema. And remember, 90% of all cases are secondary lymphedema related. 22% of those cases are not related to cancer treatment, while 68% of them are related to cancer treatment. So we've talked about the problem. Now let's talk about the solution. Complete decongestive therapy has two phases that work together. Phase one includes skincare slash wound care if needed, manual lymph drainage, compression bandages, and exercise. Phase two includes skincare slash wound care if needed, exercise, compression garments, and manual self-drainage. So the main thing to point out here that is the difference is that phase one is compression bandaging, while phase two is compression garments. First, let's talk about the goals of phase one, and then we'll talk about why the different types of compression is so important between the two phases. The goals of phase one are to decrease volume, educate the patient on skin care and wound care, perform MLD to stimulate the lymphatic system, apply compression bandages to remove fluid and keep it out, and lastly, exercise for strength and endurance, also to stimulate muscle pumps to remove that fluid. The goals for phase two of CDT, self-skin care and wound care, exercise to maintain an active lifestyle, become independent with garments, and lastly, to develop independence in their treatment of the lifelong disease that is lymphedema. In phase one, you're really laying down the foundation for the patient to understand the disease, the disease process, the treatment goals, the treatment options, and just how to develop the daily routine to manage their lymphedema. Phase one is also called the decongestive phase. The point of the decongestive phase is to decrease the limb volume. Compression bandages during phase one is so important for that. Because the bandages can be reapplied, the foam, the cotton, or whatever the buffer is that you're adding in there for padding, it can be reshaped and rearranged whenever you need more pressure, maybe on the anterior tip, or maybe you need more pressure to the lateral knee. Being able to wrap and rewrap the leg or the arm really helps to remove that fluid and to give you a more normal limb shape. In phase two, which is also called the maintenance phase, this is where the patient is really responsible for their own treatment. They're responsible for their skin care. They're responsible for wearing the right compression garment. They're responsible for exercising in that compression garment. And they're just, in general, taking responsibility for the steps that have to be applied for good treatment. Compression garments in phase two is important because compression bandages in phase one 
decrease the limb volume. Compression garments in phase two maintain that decreased limb volume so that they can continue to live their active and healthy life without that fluid filling back up. A compression garment is purchased in different sizes. So say you buy a size three sleeve. Well, that size three sleeve has like a eight centimeter range where it can move up or go down in an eight centimeter range. When you wear that, the limb only has a variation of eight centimeters that it can fluctuate. If you're not wearing a compression garment, all that fluid will come back within hours. If you're wearing a compression bandage, you can move some more of that fluid out. So say you're in phase two, you had a really busy day, you get ready to go to bed that night and you notice that your leg is really swollen, even though you wore compression all day. If you get back into the bandage, reapply that bandage while you sleep, you'll likely wake up in the morning with that fluid gone. You've had decongestion occur overnight, and then you can put your garment back on and go about your day. That's the purpose of the compression garment versus the role of the compression bandage. Let's go ahead and break down each category a little bit more. Compression is the first step in how you, can you help. The cardiovascular system, it has the heart that pumps blood through the body. The lymphatic system uses muscle activity to stimulate the lymphatic vessels to circulate the fluid. When compression bandages or compression garments are applied, there's a working pressure that has a high force exerted when the muscle moves. And there's a resting pressure that has a low restoring force while the muscles are at rest. And because you wrap in a gradient, meaning the pressure is greater distally towards the feet or the fingers, and it is less tight proximally towards the shoulder or the thigh, it encourages an upward central movement of the fluid to leave the limb. Once the volume decreases, then you can wear the garment, and the garment also has a pressure gradient that moves the fluid Distal to proximal, traditional bandaging includes short stretch bandages with foam or cotton to help shape the limb. Toes and fingers are usually wrapped if they're involved. And again, the gradient compression is applied here. You want to wrap the full length of the leg. And this wrap can be worn for 24 to 48 hours, day or night. Compression garments, they can be custom made. They can apply to the head and the neck. They can be applied to the arms or the leg. And they can also be applied to the trunk in some cases like a compression bra. Compression garments are not intended to be worn at night because they have a high resting pressure. Often compression garments are easier to wear underneath clothing compared to traditional compression bandages. Alternative garments can also be made custom there are many brands off the shelf available. They must be replaced every six months. And most of the time they can be worn day or night. A helpful thing to know about the alternative garments is that the adjustable Velcro straps help you to decrease the limb size as you wear it. Another form of compression is the pneumatic pump. Pneumatic pumps are available from a few different vendors and they 
pretty much have a sleeve for every body part. I've seen head and neck, chest, trunk, arm and leg, and even something that has a specific pressure for genital regions if you have swelling there as well. Often the lightweight compressor is easy to travel with or to pack in a bag. It's easy to use at home and you can just clean it with a little spray or a little warm water and soap. The second aspect of complete decongestive therapy that I want to talk about is manual lymph drainage. Manual lymph drainage uses body landmarks, lymphatic pathways, the watersheds, and regional lymph nodes to reroute lymph fluid that's trapped in an affected region of the body to an unaffected region of the body. The purpose of MLD is to reroute the fluid so it can be absorbed into the healthy lymphatic system and voided from the body through urination. I like to explain it as being the opposite of borrowing sugar from your neighbor. You have too much sugar, so you take it to your neighbor's house and they make cookies. When your arm is swollen, you reroute the fluid from the opposite side of the body or sometimes down the same side of the body to get rid of that fluid and to be absorbed into that healthy system. The body doesn't know it's working any harder. That healthy system doesn't know it's absorbing more lymphatic fluid than usual. It just does its job and then you pee it out. One thing I really want to point out is the fact that manual lymph drainage is not the same as lymphatic massage. I want to read a quote from my presentation. Lymphatic massage, often promoted by massage therapists who are not certified lymphedema therapists, say this. Lymphatic massage promotes detoxification of the body, regeneration of burned, injured, or wrinkled tissue, anti-aging effects, and relief of sinusitis, bronchitis, ear infections, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, constipation, insomnia, memory loss, cellulite, obesity, or as a beauty treatment. I mean, it sounds like a cure-all. Who wouldn't want lymphatic massage performed to have a beauty treatment, decrease obesity, and fight an ear infection? I would love that. But it's not what its purpose is, and it's not the same thing. Manual lymph drainage, as quoted by Dr. Vodder, is gentle manual treatment technique based on four basic strokes, which were initially developed in the 1930s. These basic strokes are designated to manipulate lymph nodes and lymphatic vessels with the goal of increasing their activity and promoting the flow of lymphatic fluid. 100% not the same as lymphatic massage performed by an uncertified massage therapist. I don't want to beat the dead horse, so we're going to go ahead and move on to exercise. The elephant in the room is that it's always been discouraged for people with lymphedema to exercise. It's a myth. Exercise does not always have negative effects on patients with lymphedema. There has been research that indicates that the transportation of lymph fluid and proteins from the swollen areas 
increases during and after exercise. Meaning that after you exercise and while you're exercising, there is a delayed response of the movement of that lymphatic fluid out of the region due to that muscle activity. Studies show that lymph fluid increased five-fold in the first 15 minutes and two to three-fold during the remaining time of two hours after exercise. Studies show that lymph fluid increased five-fold within the first 15 minutes and two to three-fold during the remaining time of a two-hour exercise period. Really good examples of exercise for patients with lymphedema is yoga, water aerobics, strength training, deep breathing, and aerobic exercise. The most important thing to keep in mind is that during exercise that isn't water aerobics, compression needs to be worn so that that external pressure is applied and that muscle pump is more effective in moving that fluid out of the affected limb. The last aspect of complete decongestive therapy is skincare. A daily skincare regimen will help to support a healthy lymphatic system. Wash with an antibacterial soap and warm water. You want to avoid hot water to not increase any swelling. Apply daily a pH balancing or a pH neutral lotion. And also perform skin checks for irritation, scratches or cuts, dry skin, leaking, foul odors, all of that. You want to check your skin thoroughly every single day, before you shower, after you shower, before you put your garment on, after you take your garment off, you always want to check the skin and make sure it hasn't become irritated or broken down. My favorite soap to use is the Dial Gold, either the pump or the bar. It's really a good body wash. Some lotions that I like is the Eucerin and the Cetaphil. You can buy those in any drugstore or grocery store. They're pretty much available anywhere. The reason why skincare is so important is because there's really dangerous complications for patients with lymphedema. Cellulitis, being one of them, is a serious lymphedema-related complication that can lead to an increase in lymphatic drainage and other complications. Because lymphedema patients are at an increased risk of cellulitis, they are also at an increased risk of sepsis and death. The signs and symptoms of cellulitis is more than just redness and warmth to touch. There's also map-like borders that expand. The patient can be just severely malaise, just feels yuck. Sometimes they have nausea or a headache, fever or chills. The limb or the area that's affected can often look swollen, and generally it progresses pretty quickly. They may not have all of those, but if you can check off maybe three of those symptoms, they need to get to an emergency room or to their doctor as soon as possible. Immediate IV or oral antibiotics is the best treatment for someone who has a cellulitis onset. Topical creams will not do the trick. It is a systemic infection that needs to be fought from the inside. All complete decongestive therapy elements need to be stopped if there is signs and symptoms of cellulitis. You want to stop any compression 
and any of the MLD so that you prevent spreading of the infection. The skin can be warm and red for several days despite being on antibiotics. You can resume complete decongestive therapy treatment after the core temperature returns to normal. It's really important to watch for the stabilization of their fever. Back in an earlier episode where we talked about wound care, I interviewed Frank Avales, who's a wound care specialist and a PT, as well as a certified lymphedema therapist. And a common encounter that we discussed is that when patients go to the emergency room for an infection, often the emergency room isn't prepared for what they're going to see. A good example is exactly Dr. Phil's quote, that most doctors only spend about 15 minutes on the disease of lymphatic systems. It's not surprising that the emergency room doctors and the emergency room nurses don't really know what cellulitis is. So a common encounter that Frank and I talked about is how patients go in and the doctors don't know what to do, so they'll put them on an antibiotic and they'll often say something along the lines of, we don't know what's causing this, we think we need to amputate. If that is happening to you, if you are a healthcare professional and this is your first time to learn about lymphedema, and someone comes in with a cellulitis infection, a very severely swollen limb, don't say that. Don't tell them that you want to cut their arm off, or you want to cut their leg off, or you want to poke a hole in it to drain all the fluid out. Take some time, talk to the patient, get their complete medical history, and educate yourself on lymphedema. Educate yourself on the signs and symptoms of complications related to lymphedema, cellulitis, lymphuria, hyperkeratosis. All those can look very weird if you're not used to seeing lymphedema patients, but there's really no need to cut off a otherwise healthy or could become healthy limb. Other skin infections can include fungal infections, uh, lymphuria, and hyperkeratosis. So often fungal infections, it's just a topical um, fungal, um, sorry, it's just a topical antifungal that's needed. Daily change of the stockinette or rewrapping, as well as really good skincare to help clean off any of that infected skin or any of that dry skin that's there, that will really make a big difference in the patient's skincare and their skin health. Lymphuria and hyperkeratosis If it's your first time to see that, if you're a home health nurse or if you're a home health PT who works in a small town or you cover multiple counties, you may see some really funky things. And I know from experience, I can think back to my early years as a PTA and there were some patients that I wish I could go back and say, this is what it is. This is what it was. It's lymphedema. But That time has passed, and all I can do now is move forward and educate better. So if you come across a patient that has like an overgrowth on the feet and on the toes, sometimes up as high as the knees, um, that's often lymphuria or hyperkeratosis, that patient really needs a meticulous cleaning with soap and water. You want to avoid maceration, and you want to avoid causing any bleeding, but you could also use petroleum jelly to promote a natural sloughing of that skin. 
You can compress it, you can apply daily skincare, and you'll notice that it doesn't have an odor. The fungal infection often has an odor, but lymphorrhea and hyperkeratosis, it doesn't have that infected odor. But it can also have a foul odor that's more related to that lymphatic fluid that kind of seeps out. So if you find yourself in a home health situation or in a small town situation where no one really knows about it, clean it, compress it, watch it, and see how that reacts. So I really hope you guys have enjoyed my How You Can Help presentation that I gave last fall to the rehab conference clinicians. And these are the tips that I left them with at the end. So if you're thinking, how can I help when it comes to lymphedema because you're not a CLT or you don't see it very often, here are my five tips for you. One, be aware of the different ways that lymphedema can be presented. Know the stages and the classifications. Two, educate the patient on the importance of daily skincare. Three, know your local certified lymphedema therapist and refer patients if you suspect lymphedema. Four, become a CLT if there's not one in your area. There's a couple of different courses that you can take, and often your work will reimburse you for it, or pay ahead of time. It's really a rewarding field to be in. And five, know the signs and symptoms of cellulitis and educate your patient or their caregiver on skincare. Lymphedemablog.com is a blog by Joe Zuther, and that's a really good free resource as well as the podcast. You can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, pretty much anywhere. You can also listen directly off the website, www.lymphedemapodcast.com. Mother Teresa says, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. This podcast is here for you to find friendship and a community for your journey with lymphedema. I hope you enjoyed learning more about my presentation on how you can help with lymphedema. Email me with your story if you would like to share. Lymphedemapodcast at gmail.com or visit the website lymphedemapodcast.com to submit a topic for another episode.